So today, we are going to continue through Matthew chapter 13, which is a series of parables about, you know, Jesus is using, I think it ends up being four or five parables, where he's using the kind of life cycle of grain. So planting, growing, harvesting, reaping, all of that as a metaphor for the kingdom of heaven. And today we're going to jump into the second of these parables. And once again, as with last week, this is a passage that is in a weird order. Um, it is either a dischronologist narrative, which means something is inserted into the middle of a story to highlight something, or it's just a literary effect. So like last week, we, we read a parable, and we got the parable, its interpretation, and in the middle, a nice little excursus on what is parable. And so we didn't talk about that last week, but I posted a blog this week, last week on the, on the River Tree Socials and the website that talks about that middle section because it just made for a weird, it, w it would have been a really ridiculously long sermon and no one wanted to sit here through that. So that's up there. This week, a similar thing happens. We have our parable, our interpretation. In the middle is two other parables. And I understand why they did that, because the two other parables kind of give some light into the other one. So how we're going to deal with it is we're going to do just the main parable, the parable and the interpretation, and then two weeks from now, we're going to take the middle section and talk about it and talk about how it reads into the other parables and such. That kind of makes sense, because again, this is just like a massive section that we'd be here an hour if we sat and did the whole thing as intended, and no one wants to stay here for an hour unless we talk. So that's how we're going to do it. So this week we're going to talk about the main parable here. So with that being said, let's read it. There we go. This is Matthew 13. I'm starting in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvester, first collect the weeds, tie them in a bundle to be burned, then get the wheat and bring it into, the, into my barn. Okay. So overall, what, what's the situation? What's the story here? So you have a guy planted the field. Presumably, if we're kind of, kind of going to be building from the parable from last week, the field is that good ground, right? Planted some wheat. However, the enemy comes in at night and sows, throws out some weeds. The first question is why? What, what is the point of this? Is it to choke out the good seeds? Again, building on the parable from last week where, where one of the ground was the seeds that go into the ground that have weeds in it, they get choked out, they can't sprout. Maybe. Is it to confuse the harvesters? That's possible if they're kind of all intermixed there. It's a little hard to figure out what's going on. Is it to get their seeds out, the enemy seeds out? If we're going off of this you know, parallel here of the farming situation, most scholars would have suggested that this weed would have been barley, which didn't interact well with the wheat and just would have caused a big issue. So I think this brings up an interesting idea of what, what do we call a weed? Because barley is a crop in some places, right? It's something you can eat. But in this situation, it's a weed. 
And for me, the first one I thought of with here is blackberries. Growing up in the Pacific Northwest, blackberries are the worst thing ever. You get a blackberry bush on your property, you have to burn things, because they will just take over and destroy absolutely everything. People have just vendettas against blackberry bushes. They're the worst weed ever out there. I moved here and like, they're just these prized little possessions that you have to pay so much for, and it's, that's just astounding. So in one context, everyone hates them and their weeds. In a different context, they are delicious gems of goodness. And so just kind of keep that in your mind as we go through this parable, this, this interesting idea of what is a weed in one context to another, and I'll just keep that in your head. Another thing I think is really fascinating, oh, do I have a nice picture? I have a nice picture, about this parable is when the enemy comes, when the weeds are sown, they come in while everyone was sleeping. They come in hidden. They come in unnoticed. And everything goes unnoticed until things start to sprout. So it's not like the enemy comes in, sows the seeds, and the next morning everyone's like, someone's been here, something's gone wrong. No, it, it takes a while. It's not until things sprout that they're like, oh no, those, that's not entirely what we planted. What, what happened here? There's some time. And probably the caretakers would have watered, cared for the weeds right alongside the good seeds, unknowingly. They didn't know those weeds were there. And then another, th the last thing I want to touch on with this part of the parable is that the farmer, God, Jesus, doesn't want to pull the weeds out. He's worried they'll damage the crops as well. We just have to let them all grow up together because if we go in and try to meticulously pull out individual weeds, we're going to do more damage to the crops than just letting everything grow up. So they'll all be taken up together, they'll all be harvested together, then separated, the weeds will be bundled up and burned, and the wheat will be taken to the farmer's house, or, or, or to the barn, or whatever analogy you want to use there. That parable kind of makes sense, kind of what's going on, what, what the surface level of the parable is. Okay, so let's dive into the interpretation, and again, we're luckily Jesus just straight tells us what he means with this one. And again, notice we've skipped a couple of verses, we're going to come back in two weeks and talk about the ones we skipped, because they're a little almost parenthetical. Here's two more parables that are related to this that'll kind of feed into it. So, those will come in two weeks. This is starting in verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went to his house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the seeds is the son of man, the field is the world, the good seeds stand for the people of the kingdom, the weeds are the people of the evil one, the enemy who sows the seeds is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, hear this. It's a light, feel-good sermon today, isn't it? So, all right, Jesus tells us exactly what is one-to-one -one here, but let's kind of run through them here real quick. So, the sower, the farmer, son of man, Jesus. The field, the world, everything around us. The good seeds, 
followers of Jesus. The weeds, the followers of evil, the enemy or the one who came in and sowed the, the weeds is Satan, the devil. The harvest, the end of the age, sometimes referred to as Armageddon, and the workers who are coming, coming in do the harvest, Jesus says, are angels. Okay, so with all of that in our head, what's the situation? Anything here? Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to that. Well, what is a parable actually about? The parable is Jesus sowing followers, trying to create believers. Those good seeds, right? It's a little bit of the parable last week. Good seeds that sprout up, form their fruit, and then that fruit makes seeds to continue the process, continue making more followers. So that's Jesus' side, setting out to make disciples who in turn go on to make more disciples. However, unseen to most, unseen to the workers, unseen to everyone else in the parable, obviously except the farmer, the devil is doing the same thing, trying to sow seeds, weeds of deception. And it can be hard to tell the difference. Like with the seeds, you couldn't tell which seed was which until things sprouted. So it's hard to tell who is who, what is going on until you see evidence, until you see that fruit appearing. Again, this brings in this discussion of what is a weed? In one context, what is a weed might be different than a different context, what is a weed? And so then, then our idea becomes, well, what does Jesus say a weed is? What does Jesus say will identify the enemy, will identify weed, will identify people who are not children of God. And so that's why it's so important to, 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 be, to be in our Bibles, to be going through those passages, to be understanding the mind of Jesus, the heart of God, more and more. And then we get to the end of this passage, you know, the, the end of the age, Armageddon. And this is where that separation happens. Not before that, remember, because they talked about if you pull out some of the weeds, you're going you're gonna to hurt the, the good crop as well. So, the end of the age, this is where the separation happens. Now, let's talk about the fire side of the separation. This is going to be a, a quick little soapbox thing for me. The, when we think of, you know, kind of the end of the age and fire and hell and such, the fire side of it is almost all metaphorical. There is probably not going to be, like, burning fire pits. Um, where a lot of this imagery came from is in Jerusalem, outside of the city, there was a burning dump called Gehenna, and it was just a, a dump, you know, where all the garbage went that was always on fire and burning, and a few times it was compared to what will be the punishment. Not the fire side of it, but the separation. It is outside the city. You cannot go there. Once things go there, they cannot allow it back. It's continually burning. It's forever. So it's that side of it. Um, an interesting part of this passage in particular is this line down here. So they will throw them into the blazing furnace. Now this phrase, blazing furnace, in this translation is translated as blazing furnace. This phrase is used in one other story, one other passage in the Bible. Could anyone have a guess off the top of their head where this passage might, this phrase might be used? Yeah, you got it. Yes, so another translation you could use here is fiery furnace. 
So the only other time this phrase is used is in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. And to just go a little bit further down the nerd rabbit hole, our New Testaments are written in Greek, right? That's the language they're written in. However, Jesus didn't speak Greek most of the time, especially in this context where he's just with his friends. Jesus isn't speaking Greek. Greek would have been seen as the oppressor's language. Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic here. Our Old Testaments are mostly written in Hebrew, but there's a couple books that are written in Aramaic, some of the later ones, one of which is Daniel, the story where the fiery furnace happens. So in this context, Jesus is actually saying the words that the disciples would have been reading in their scrolls, in their scriptures, in Daniel. So that connection would not have gone over their heads. Jesus is basically quoting Daniel here, using this very specific term. So what does that mean? Well, in the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, quick synopsis of that story, while they are, uh, are taken captive, they're, they're in Babylon, the king has this big statue, it says, worship this like a god. If you don't, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't, so they get thrown into the fiery furnace. So in essence, they are tossed into the blazing fire for not worshiping something that's not God for refusing to bow down before something that's not God. And so in this case, the analogy is, this group is gonna be thrown into that fiery furnace, that punishment for not worshiping God, for not bowing down before God. It's creating an interesting parallel using a story that would have been well known, that would have been you know, a scriptural story to create this idea here of what eternity, what this kind of eternal punishment is going to look like. You know, that's just my little soapbox. So, about the idea of what kind of hell and punishment looks like. An interesting side note, some of the earliest renditions or thoughts of what, what would like hell look like were actually ice. They were actually cold. This is a rendition from Dante's Inferno. Because the idea was you are completely separated from God, the light of all lights, the light of the world. You are so far removed, there is no light, there is no warmth. And so like the punishment down here is being frozen to death, being frozen, not being able to move. So th that's just kind of a random side note, but getting at the idea that a lot of the interpretations, a lot of our ideas of what does heaven and hell look like kind of come from these metaphorical senses. So with all that out of the way, that's the kind of damnation fireside. The wheat is going to the barn taken to the barn, or the house of God, you know, the house that Jesus talks about, you know, when he's getting ready to leave the disciples. He says, I'm going away to prepare you a place where my father has a house with many rooms. It's this idea. The good wheat is being taken to the house of God. So with all of this, what, what is Jesus getting at? What is the, the point of all of this? Whoops, go too far. Well, Jesus is talking about eternity, using this idea of the life cycle of grain to talk about eternity, our eternal life cycle. Which is interesting, this is something that Jesus and the Bible as a whole talk surprisingly little about, the idea of what does eternity look like? What does this punishment look like? What does the reward look like? It's all talked about in very vague terms, and this passage is the same way. 
So the punishment side of it, like, oh, okay, not yet. Oh, yeah, okay, you were talking about eternity, not that eternity, but the idea of eternity going on forever, the idea of what is this never-ending road. So on the punishment side, all this passage really says it's an area of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an area where you're going to be sad. You're going to have regret. You're going to be crying. You know, you're going to be clenched. Your jaw's going to be clenched because you're upset, sad, angry, regret, all of that. You're going to be separate from God, distant, isolated. I mean, just think about a couple years ago when we had to kind of isolate in our homes, how difficult that was, how emotionally disheartening that was. Magnify that to eternity and complete isolation. Isolation from God, isolation from anyone you love, family, friends, anything. And it's permanent, like the fire outside of the city. It's always burning, always going. So that's what's on the punishment, the weed side of this. But there's also the reward side. And the reward side is also fairly vague. All we really get is, you'll shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. So what can we pull out of that? The big thing is we're going to be with God. We're going to be shining like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. We're going to be present with God. We're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be shining, radiant, upheld. In some ways, we'll be honored in the kingdom of heaven with God, with the angels, coming into this amazing family, fully entering into this present family. That's what this parable is about. This idea, it is both a warning and a promise. On the warning side, it's a warning against evil, against falling into evil. It's also warning us that there is evil all around us. You know, the, the weeds were completely intermixed with the good seeds. Hard to tell the difference. They're all around. But it's also a promise. It's a promise of, first and foremost, being united with the Father. It's a promise of being united with Jesus, with God, in heaven. It's a promise of being able to withstand evil. Because the good wheat in this passage doesn't get choked out. It grows. Despite the weeds that are around them, it still grows. It still thrives, makes it through, produces seeds. It's a promise of being saved from judgment. In the, in the story, the workers, the angels, come through and they can easily identify. They know that's good, that's, that's weed, that's good grain, that's this. You'll be seen. You'll be known. You don't have to worry, oh no, well, am, am I this, am I this? God sees you. Knows your heart. Sees what you're doing. So it's not going to be a worry of being overlooked. Because the angels picked each and every one, knew the heart of each and every one. And this promise 
is solely because of Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection is the only way this promise can happen. It's the only reason this promise can be given to us. And so today, as we close out, we're going to commemorate that promise. We're going to commemorate that amazing reason we have this promise through communion.